You are listening to the Dismount Podcast, and I am your host, Estrada. Today's episode, we're actually going to try uh, our hands on a true crime type thing. It's going to be involving Orange County uh, around May 2010, and I will be reading some of the information from one of the articles that I found on NBCLosAngeles.com titled, Body Part Found in Double Murder Dismemberment Case. And the reason why I wanted to, one, throw my hand at doing this is because a lot of people like true crime and I get it. I'm fascinated by that stuff too as well. And also I actually had some kind of involvement in uh, some of the case just because of where I was stationed at the time and wanted to kind of share that with you and and give it a shot. So uh, enjoy our little jingle music from uh, the awesome Santi and uh, we'll get things rolling after that. Ladies and gentlemen of the Dismount community, new and old, welcome. My name is Estrada, and today is the first attempt at a true crime. Um, inspired by just trying to find out what the community and what uh, you know those around me are interested in as far as podcasts, and I figured I'd give it a shot. Um, this case is uh, something personal to me, it, not so much in the fact that individuals related uh, to the case I had personal involvement with, but because it happened in a location I was stationed at. <clears throat> so let me give you a little quick premise of what's going on of it. Uh, and I'm going to reference an article one. I might reference more articles, but this is the first one kind of caught my attention. Um, it's dated May 31st, 2010 is when the, the article's dated. It's on NBCLosAngeles.com. The title is Body Part Found in Double Murder Dismemberment Case. Uh, I will be sharing that uh, link post to our Facebook, the Dismount Facebook, uh, so people can reference it and kind of just, you know, confirm what I'm reading. I'll, I'll try to maybe read it verbatim, maybe not, but let me paint you guys a picture. So here's, here's what's going on. Um, Orange County, Long Beach area, right? Costa Mesa involved, FBI involved, uh, a lot of agencies involved in this. The, the primary subject of this is uh, Daniel Walzniak. Um, hopefully I don't butcher anybody's names, which uh, this is why people should edit things, but poor choice. I get it. Moving forward. Um, around that time, I had been in the Army going back and forth to, to different deployments, and I got stationed at 
JFTB, Joint Forces Training Base in Los, Al uh, Los Alamitos, California. <clears throat> and at the time, I was one of, I want to say, nine of us stationed there doing uh, LEO, law enforcement, uh, essentially the base security, military police type stuff. Uh, so I was one of the few NCOs who were MOSQ'd as a military police. And the reason, I got shitty coffee, but we're working with it. And the reason why I bring that up is because at the time, uh, coming in, tra transferred from, from another post and transferring in between uh, combat tours and stuff, um, there was a lot of things we needed to address and fix on uh, report writing, just the basics, basics, daily um, task and and other stuff. So it was it was a work in progress. You know, the, the staff had been, prior to me getting there, had been cut from like 40 to about nine. So any of you who've done any kind of shift work uh, in anything, you know, it could be medical, could be security, could be anything related, right? That where, where you have shift work, having your staff cut down that far is atrocious. So we have that struggle already. And we have some retraining, reteaching, you know, different processes. The army's army does, big army does that I had to, assist in in kind of getting us up to par and one of those things not only was the report writing records keeping but one of those things that i had had stressed on the guys there who had been stationed there for for a few years already was implementing different um safety and security strategies and and the one i'll focus on right now that ties into this story is um security measures as far as um entrance uh and 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 questioning individuals getting on post so when i say post i'm referencing a military installation military base and one of the things that we would implement or that was common to be implemented was random checks right that random check could be um for example hey today uh day shift uh it'd be put out after everyone gets to their post you know what, uh, from this time to this time, uh, for the next hour, we're going to be searching every sixth car or every third car. And we would just spot check, you know, and, and we'd have our, our personnel who's on staff would spot check the driver, the passenger, uh, you know, just friendly general questions. It would essentially be in place to kind of deter individuals coming on post to do things that may or may not need to be done, right? Uh, everyone should have a reason for, for being on post, for, for visiting post, and um, valid identification, valid uh, license registration insurance, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a new concept for some of the guys because at the time, to, to paint a broader picture, um, the U.S. military was still doing somewhat heavy rotations in Afghanistan and Iraq. So we had a lot of units kind of um, pieced out everywhere else. So a lot of the garrison or back home stateside missions, so to speak, or daily routines and whatnot, were, were kind of pieced together by a bunch of different people from different units, different MOSs. So you got a lot of people who, who might not have their primary role as uh, a military police or anything law enforcement stuff, but all of us have basic soldiering skills on how to s secure perimeter, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, gate guard stuff, running a, an ECP and entry control point, 
like a main gate uh, for an installation is something that's that's basic soldiering, right? The law enforcement aspect is obviously something myself and others had to kind of bring in, and the guys did pretty good on adapting to it. But when you get into a routine, you get complacent. Obviously, certain things tend to fall through the cracks. So what we were doing at this time, in the time of 2010, or roughly May-ish time, and probably like a month prior to that, I would say, uh, my memory serves, <clears throat> we were implementing those random checks. So what I told him, I was like, I will go ahead and at the beginning of the shift, I will just kind of randomly assign a time, right? A time block, give you guys a number or a color of vehicle or both. And you guys will just practice addressing the driver. You know, we'll have additional people up front. Uh, hey, you've been selected for a random, uh, random spot check, random search, uh, being a federal installation. We were able to do that without the the common justifiable cause that you know regular civilian law enforcement used to have before they you pulled you over or whatever else you know once you crossed at least our our installation uh jfdb we had this giant gold line uh that would reference you are now on federal property so probable cause was kind of a loose term and our probable cause was you are now on an installation so it didn't really matter uh, your your reasons for suspicion or whatever else it was just you're on we have the capacity the right to go ahead and the authority to go ahead and and select and just do a cursory search or or, or whatnot and so we would do that um and and then to further kind of detail my involvement and role as law enforcement on this post, <clears throat> I'd say the first, first couple months prior to this event happening, uh, shift rotation was very heavy. So I, I actually stayed on base most of the time. I would only go home uh, to my, my then wife um, every, every few days when I had a day off or two. So scheduling was obviously a nightmare. Um, but even on my days off, the guys would call me and be like, hey, hey, Sergeant Estrada, um, we have this incident what was the document that we needed to use? Because we were, we were kind of retraining. So I was like, all right, no big deal. Call me if you need anything. You know, is it a, a department of the army form? Is it a department of defense form, et cetera? It just, it was something that we had to kind of recreate and all make sure we got the hang of it. So I was obviously the go-to person for most of that stuff. The guys started kind of picking up that. So um, my wife at the time got really accustomed to, and also annoyed that the guys would always call me from work. Work would always call me constantly to ask me questions like that, to follow up. Hey, Sarge, uh, we're using this form. Is this the correct form? What other form do we have? I was like, yeah, that's fine. Um, you got your uh, your initial findings. You've got your, I mean, for the life of me, I can't really remember most of them right now. But there was a couple different forms you needed, depending on what you were doing. <clears throat> and my fellow MPs out there will probably know couple of the DA forms and DD forms. Um, it's just, uh, it, it took practice. It's perishable skills and stuff. And a lot of times they would just have to keep, keep asking. And as we were doing that, I would, I would slowly build examples out of the ones we would use that I would kind of have them shadow me and be like, okay, if you, if it's a, 
minor ta traffic violation. This is what you want to use. This is kind of a, a setup that you can do it. If it's just taking a, um, a witness statement, here, here's the forms you can use. Um, if it's an incident that's a little bit higher and, and, and base command has to be involved, this is what you do. Make sure you get these point of contacts, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and then also there was different forms and we had a daily blotter or daily uh, log of activities during shift that we would account for. And if we uh, interacted with the general public or, or anyone that was on post, you know, we would annotate that, especially if we're dealing with a driver or whatnot, someone who was hostile. Um, so it was just, it, we're in a, in, in a crawl walk run phase of learning some of the things that they just didn't have the manpower to really implement. So they, they had to, because it got cut down to nine, they had to just stick with the basics of kind of report, uh, uh, reporting uh, what they see or, or, you know, just doing basic patrols around the area and checking, you know, known places, whatever else. But some of those intricate things of, of making the base itself and making security uh, a hard target, so to speak, right. Yeah. That would deter anybody from trying to get on base and doing something malicious uh, was something that we, we needed more time to implement. And again, going back to the, the vehicle searches stuff, um, some of them, you maybe didn't really fully comprehend why. Well, you know, they knew a lot of the people that came in. There's people who would visit the the base for different activities. Use the uh, the the pool was for public use. The theater, which is a key place right now, once I get into the story, uh, was for public use. Uh, as long as they had a reason and a purpose to be there, and everything checked out, you know, no one's malingering around. No one's. Um, you know, trying to sell shit or whatever else, you know, they, they had a justifiable reason to be on post and had proper identification. Usually that was the gist of it, unless we had certain events or something going on where security was a little tighter. <clears throat> so that's kind of like a broad paint you a picture of what's going on prior to me getting into this thing. So you have kind of a sense of where I'm at, the, the tempo of, of workload that I have going on, the guys that I work with have going on, and kind of this general scene. Now, uh, Joint Forces Training Base Los Alamitos, or as I will continue to reference it, uh, JFTB, um, was, a, was a, a major hub for Southern California, major training base. And I'm not telling you guys anything you can't find online, so uh, OPSEC and all that other stuff. I won't get into too many details of stuff that doesn't pertain to this, but we, we sat kind of on the cusp of, of different zones, different places. Uh, Long Beach PD would, would interact with us, Seal Beach, Los Alamitos of uh, uh, PD, of course. And, um, so being in Orange County area, we were, we were kind of a, a, a big hotspot for not just military training, but also interacting with the general public. Um, it was also, um, uh, an active air, air base, um, or airfield, so to speak. Um, we had a, a, a naval um, <clears throat> golf course in the back half end of the post. So it was, it was a lot of different things in different areas we had to be aware of. And we had this uh, MOU memorum of, uh, memorandum of understanding that we worked hand in hand with local PD to kind of, I, I don't want to say um, kind of backfill, but they would, they would help assist kind of provide additional roving or security or patrols in those areas that kind of overlapped that, uh, that made it just a little bit easier for us to function. Cause I mean, we, our posts also had its own fire department and those guys are great by the way. 
and uh, all these other things. So any military base anyone's been on, it's usually it's uh, like a self-contained community, right? But this one kind of in, intertwined with the surrounding community. There was there's residential lined up on certain sides of it, residential areas outside the front. So it was tucked in, but that gives you kind of idea. There wasn't a big buffer between the general public who had reason to be on post and and those who had a, to travel a long way just to get to that post. Um, for those of you who may know, uh, Fort Irwin in California, that one, you have to kind of drive out of your way purposely to get to that base where, where Los Alamitos, uh, Joint Force Training with JFTB, it's, you can get there on accident. You'd be like driving down the main road and be like, oh shit, I'm at a front gate and it could be intimidating. So for for the guys that would run the gate, um, you know, a lot of times there's there's heavy traffic. I mean, we would get sometimes upwards of 600 cars a, an hour. Um, so, you know, sometimes you're saluting, sometimes you're checking ID, um, military IDs. Everyone's supposed to have that ready to go. And then we're, we're in, implementing a block of time where they're doing spot checks on on a little more detail. Um, and again, that that was just an, a deterrent to try to make sure if someone thought they can kind of slide in, uh, that they couldn't. Enough about that. Let's move on to the story at hand. Um, I was at, and I'll always remember this day, I was at Home Depot with my wife at the time, and she was pregnant uh, with, our, with our daughter. And I'd say... I don't know. Daughter was born late August. So this thing is published around May, 2010. You can do the math. I won't do it right now. And I was at Home Depot and we're looking for God knows what. I don't remember that, but my phone rang and it was work and she's pushing the cart around. I go to answer the phone. She's like, well, who is it? And I, I just kind of gave her that like, look, oh, it's work. Hang on. And of course she's been kind of used to this at time of were calling me for miscellaneous things. So what report do we write, et cetera, et cetera. Like I explained a little bit earlier. Uh, so being a little annoyed by it and a little bothered that it didn't matter what was going on, they would call me. And this is being one of my first days off in a while. Uh, her, and I, I laugh at this, even though it's not laughing, man, it's that dark humor. Um, I'm listening to the guys kind of explain to me what's going on. And they're, they're a little uh, high strung. There's a lot of things going on. A lot of people move in background. I'm trying to like really listen. And of course, Home Depot is not all that super quiet. And uh, my wife at the time looks at me and she's like, oh, they're calling you again. It's your day off. They can't give you a break. I was like, I know, I know. Hang on. And she says, what? It's, did somebody die? And I just kind of like, without hesitation, I looked at her. I said, yes, went back to my conversation and her being pregnant probably also didn't make it easier, but she just had like this mini meltdown and just got very upset emotionally. You're not supposed to say yes. Who says yes to that, that response, that comment, like it's, it's supposed to just be like a figure of speech. So she's having just this horrible, hard time. And I'm on the phone with the guys trying to get as much information and try to kind of coordinate things from, from being off work. 
you know, I'm telling them, okay, you know, make sure you guys have these reports, make sure, make sure you're using these things. Cause now we're, we're working with different agencies. You know, we're working with, uh, FBI's there. We've got multiple, um, different police departments kind of involved in this stuff. Um, we've got guys assisting in searching for, uh, remains, right? This is, this is what we're being told. Hey, we have an active investigation for this. There there's, we have reason to suspect there's remains, right? It's probably the only way I can say it delicately on base. We're just, wow, what, you know? So, so, you know, they're doing that. One of our guys is assisting that. And I won't, I won't use names. So I, I feel it's, it's just gentler that way. And I know one of our guys had a really hard time with it. Um, he actually assisted in finding, I believe, uh, the torso in the, um, the movie theater on post, uh, it still actually literally gives me chills right now. I, I feel for, for that individual having to go up there, up in the rafters and stuff and, and, and discover that even though majority of us were combat vets, it's just, it's just still something that's very unsettling, especially back home stateside. It's something that when you're in combat, you expect, right. But when you're back home, especially doing law enforcement related stuff, it's not something you're just like mentally prepared for, even though we've, we've most likely seen just horrible things in life. Uh, it's something that caused a very difficult time. And, you know, we're dealing with that. We're dealing with our other guys trying to assist in, in coordinating, uh, uh investigative efforts. I had actually made friends with quite a few of the law enforcement back then. And one of my good friends in the Los Alamitos PD had kind of <clears throat> reached out and, and we, we talked about it kind of on the day and, and days after is obviously a big topic. Uh, they had found some more remains in one of the big um, El Dorado Park is actually what they reference on the article. And I'm going to get to the article too, just because it gives you a little better painting of the picture of it. Um and I remember going on patrols and stuff with some of the law enforcement and, uh, you know, Los Alamitos PD, we, we would do ride alongs or whatever else every once in a while. I remember going to that park. It's a large park and it's just mind blowing. One, the situation, the things that we had been doing on the military side months before, um, with, with the intent of, of trying to prevent something like this to happen. And we, we, it just, you know, you do your best and things still happen. All right. So let me get into the article. I'm sure everyone, if you've made it this far, you're like, all right, get on with it. I got you. So here's the article, NBCLosAngeles.com, published May 31st, 2010, updated same day, 2.30 PM, body part found in double murder dismemberment case. Now, it's weird because it says body part because there's there's multiple body parts. Um, double murder dismemberment case. It's it, to this day like I see images every once in a while that I come across, or I actually uh, in in some of my my documents that I had saved, some of the reportings that I I did back then, I, I kind of reread them like, wow, dude, it's heavy. So here we go. Here's from the article. It's probably just easier if I read it. <clears throat> Authority searching a Long Beach park found the final missing body part believed to belong to a community college student 
killed and dismembered in a double murder for profit plot in Orange County, police said Sunday. FBI agents and police from Costa Mesa and Long Beach searched El Dorado Park with cadaver dogs for two days before finding a severed head through uh, thought to believe to be Samuel Herr, 26, on Saturday. A Costa Mesa Police Sergeant Patrick Weasley said, and like I said, um, I've seen some things, but just that it hits home and it's also a vet that this happened is just, it still turns my gut years later. It's, it's a shame. <sighs> Continuing on with the article. An arm and hand were found at the park Friday, and authorities had said the head was the only body part still missing. A coroner will officially determine whether the remains with whether the remains were her Weasley or Wesley or Wessel, sorry, uh, said <clears throat> hers Costa Mesa neighbor Daniel Wozniak, twenty six, is accused of killing and dismembering her and killing hers friend. Now her is spelled with uh, spelled with double R by the way. Uh, jury uh, Kibushi, Kibushi for money. Um, I'll add to whatever I don't read in this article. Uh, Wozniak was charged with two counts of murder Friday, just hours before he was scheduled to get married in another Long Beach park. Uh, he was being held without bail Sunday at Orange County Jail. He was scheduled to be arraigned by video conference Tuesday. Again, this is back in 2010. Investigators believe her was shot and killed in a theater at the Los Alamitos Joint Forces training base. His torso was found in the theater's attic May 21st. There's all kinds of rough times, man. And I I still feel for the family, too. I can't. My mind cannot grasp it. Continuing. Authorities have not said why the two were at the base. However, her was an army veteran who had served in Afghanistan, the Los Angeles Times reported Sunday. He and Kibushi were both students at Orange Coast College. Authorities allege Wozniak shot her, then cut off his head, left arm, and right hand. Investigators said Wozniak told them where to find the torso. This is true because that's kind of how our guys got the information and, and started interacting with the different uh, law enforcement agencies. <clears throat> Wozniak also is accused of shooting Kibushi. I hope I say that name right. After summoning her with a text message from her's phone. Again, her is the, the, uh, the, the primary victim, the main victim in this. Uh, authorities believe Wozniak removed Kibushi's Close to fake sexual assault. Her's father found her body in her's apartment May 22nd. Again, that's just, it's gut-wrenching that, that as a father, you go to check on your son and you, you discover this kind of stuff. This, it's, anyways, continuing forward. Wozniak, a stage actor, had recently appeared in the leading role in the musical Nine at the Hunger Artists Theater Company in Fullerton. He had money problems, and police believe that believe the motive was financial. 
Wozniak had been scheduled to marry Rachel Buffett, one of his nine co-stars, on Saturday. Police detained a 17-year-old boy Wednesday after he withdrew nearly 2000 from her's bank account. Money, the boy said, was for Wozniak. Costa Mesa police said, Detective Sergeant Ed Everett said the boy was not considered an accessory to the murder, but may be charged with another crime. His name was withheld because he was a minor. Wozniak's father, Daryl Wozniak, said his son tried to commit suicide after his Wednesday arrest and was treated at Western Medical Center. Daryl Wozniak said his son never showed any violent tendencies or psychological problems, but stopped accepting his phone call six months ago. Concerning right there. Um, for, for a father to stop accepting phone calls from, from their son, it's, it's that's a red flag for me, of course. Uh, two other people, Daniel Wozniak's brother, Timothy Wozniak, and Buffett's brother, Noah Buffett, were arrested for investigation of being accessories after the fact. However, Everett said Sunday, authorities have since determined neither was involved in the case, and he said neither is expected to be charged. So like I said, I'll make sure to share that to Facebook, that article, so you guys can get a glimpse of it. Um, it's just, it's it's a wild thing, and it's still to this day something that I think about because it's something that I was kind of indirectly involved and that impacted at least my life in even the smallest way of just just knowing that people are, are out there capable of, of essentially murdering and dismembering individuals for, for money. And I encourage you take a look at it. Uh, Wozniak and, and the uh, JFTB Los Alamitos, uh, murder of, of her. Um, like I said, it's, it's still a shock to me because here, here we are going back to kind of my, my connection to it. I was stationed on, on a base, um, that seemed to be fairly common area for, for military and, and civilians to kind of interact and do things. And, and we were all aware, even me being a newer transfer to the area, I was aware that the theater had a theater program, you know, that the local community college put on plays. And I, I knew that there was obviously a lot of uh, veterans who, who were coming back and getting out of the military, going to use their GI Bill and, and going to local colleges, especially ones that are affiliated with with the local bases there, because it was just a little easier to to utilize those programs. And it's unfortunate that, you know, this 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 veteran combat vet, uh, very young, who who was probably, you know, had so many plans for the, for the future and, and had so many things he wanted to do. And of course, the, not even getting into whatever he may or may not have been dealing with, uh, just, just had the unfortunate, um, happenings of, of running into two individuals who, for whatever motives they had, um, decided he was a prime target to exploit, 
um, from what I can recall personally of, of hearing some of the, the, the stories and stuff about this. And again, I shared with you one article, but I'll give you some that I can recall um, loosely kind of remembered. Uh, I had heard one person say, or, or some people say, speculate um, the primary suspect and his fiance at the time lured her into the theater uh, on base had met him up. So, so I would imagine this individual being, being a veteran, he probably showed up on base, you know, moments before. And then um, Wozniak and company entered the base and being regulars, all of them being regulars to the program there, you know, uh, security may not have, had the inclination to just con- check, uh, check or double check and confirm. I would love to say that I had selected a time for these guys to implement something like that. And, and it could have prevented it. Um, we can get into what ifs all day, obviously, but I remember that the individual we had on, on the front gates, the seasoned guy, and also a junior who was learning the ropes and stuff going back to the, the commonality of, of those individuals who have a reason and purpose for being on post, even at maybe later evening hours, you know, theater activities happen later on. There was no reason to suspect foul play or anything else, but essentially some of the details I had heard possibly happened was um, Wozniak had once again, lured this, this combat vet to meet him and his fiance, I believe, she was there or not. I'm not hundred percent on it, on the details at the moment now. Um, and actually snuck in a, a handgun, if I recall. And that's where it happened. Um, in, in a secluded area of a theater, mind you around that time, there's a good probable, probable chance that the theater was, was unoccupied. Uh, most of the staff was end of day. So they had to have known kind of the, the, the general daily routines of, of, the the base community and everything else um you know us being low staff we didn't do a lot of uh patrolling too much or in certain areas you know we'd spot check and walk through places so these are individuals who knew the base well knew the areas that they 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 went into well you know had been going there for years for for theater and everything else so they had reasons to be there they 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 never behaved in a way that you know alluded to to you know malintent for for you using the the post resources or the theater for for anything uh devious so you know the prime individuals to to fly under the radar and then you know the motives being hey we know this guy uh is is former military he's a veteran he, he's probably using his GI bill to get paid for, you know, for whatever else. So he's got money in the bank. He's probably saved money from his last deployment. And, uh, from what I heard, uh, the intention was to take that money for a honeymoon, uh, if I recall. And so they, you know, they, they set him up, they shot him, they dismembered him in a little washroom area in the theater. And again, I'm just, I'm trying to recall some of the details at that time. And they proceeded to dismember uh, the individual in the theater. And that's where they, you know, kind of semi-strategically placed 
sprinkled body parts throughout the area you know the torso being up in the theater and in the rafters and i remember hearing kind of secondhand that the reason they found it was not so much the smell of it but it was more noticing since we were looking for the area and the individual in question had um had already admitted to certain things and where to find it it was a matter of just looking up and looking for a giant blood stain uh which is what i recall hearing um and then the rest of it you know they they discovered as well um with efforts with law enforcement at el dorado park different parts and stuff um i guess bittersweet is the fact that they from from my memory they they recovered all the the parts uh so that way our our veteran can uh can rest easy in peace um and it was just it was just like uh like a heavy hit to the face for all of us i mean we we didn't want to overshadow the severity of what it was and 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 disrespect the families involved but we also tried to in in a such a way to vocalize this is why our department needs more people this is why any law enforcement or security uh entity needs the amount the, the correct amount of individuals to do their job certain things to uh procedures in place to to mitigate you know it's not going to prevent crime crime isn't always prevented but but mitigating the opportunity to commit and conduct certain things like this would it have saved uh, these lives uh maybe um if we if we did spot checks months ago and and those even the regular individuals would would know oh wow you know they they ramped up their security measures you know they're they're more proactive on what's going on like it would get people to think and you know i remember talking to my guys like this this is unfortunate but i i hope this sticks with you guys so you guys understand like this is why we do these things this is why when i myself and others were trying to implement um kind of higher tier uh, uh security protocols safety protocols um these are the reasons why it's unfortunate that that happened at that time and you know no one wishes it to happen and i i definitely don't think anyone would have been like i told you so you know but it leaves you with a like a really bad sour taste um and and it did change if i recall it did change some of the dynamics on on some of the programs over there obviously the 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 theater involvement was a little different there's there's a lot of um not distrust in things but there there were more precautions which was the least that could be done was more precautions in in vetting individuals being there on on being a little more conscious of people being in those areas and being checked on right now now we have to be a little more aware of those those areas when there are people there after hours kind of thing just to make sure that you know, the general public on post is is in a safe environment that was that was our primary goal was to, to maintain a safe and secure environment and i know some of our guys felt like we didn't do that and i know others felt like you know that the what if kind of eats you away and and i mean i'm talking to you guys about this now in 2020 it's it's been 10 years and it's it's something that's stuck with me this entire time um i was i guess 
fortunate not to be on post and have to physically uh, interact with that on that day. Um, just, I just so happy to be on a day off and, you know, we, we kind of, we, we tried to kind of distract ourselves and be like, wow, it's, it's almost like they knew you were going to be off that day. And though I think that's a stretch and coincidence, uh, you know, who knows, who knows, because I was, I was a new face and I wasn't one of the new, uh, MP sergeants. So, I mean, is, is it potentially a, a, a justifiable reason? you know, to, to speculate, uh, the, the fact that these individuals took the time to select a target, right. To exploit a weakness of, of in an environment where this individual had every reason to believe that it was, they, their guard could be down. They could, they could feel safe. They're on, they're on base. You know, they're, they're with, uh, uh, individuals that share a common interest. You know, he's continuing, his life after the military, after combat and, and, and trying to do whatever it is he, he set his goals out to, to do, you know, interacting in theater, college, everything else. And the individual had no reason to suspect foul play or, or for anyone to, to, you know, set him up for such a, a devastatingly horrible double murder. Um, yeah, I don't think that individual ever suspected that it's the certain Things that we just dis- discover later on about the capabilities of, of humanity of, of of the human being is from from love and caring and selflessness to to greed and maliciousness and just evil. It's it's unfathomable the the far far sides of of good and and bad in these situations. And it just I'm grateful that no one close to me has ever met um, an end like that out of their control kind of thing. Um, I mean, we lose, we lose people always. And again, I feel for the families because if it's something that has shaped and impacted my life in an indirect way and, and years later, I, I still think about it. You know, it, it's, it's something that I also think about when I was looking to transition from the military into law enforcement. Um, and it, it made me question a lot of things. Like can, can I handle, um, working in that field, continuing that field, those long hours, the, the potential for, for higher risk, you know, interacting with individuals who could care less if you're there to do the right thing or not, like the, all those things. Um, so this, this had a profound impact on my life and my career and my, uh, my, the trajectory of life, um, to a certain degree. And I could only barely imagine what it's done to the families involved in this, you know, the, the, the father who lost a son, the, the family who lost a daughter, um, the, the, the father who, who, who had to find out in this manner that you know there was something not right with his son um and then all the other things like it's just how do two people who have fallen in love and and that relationship dynamic uh and then and then money, money problems how, how do those individuals get from what seems to be a, a a healthy and normal relationship to yes i think we can pull off this murder and get away with it 
and pay for our, our honeymoon? Like how, what are the steps that gets people there? I, I mean, myself studying, uh, criminal criminology and, and the behaviors and psychology of, of those who end up in a life of crime or make poor choices or end up in the system, et cetera, et cetera. Like I have a, a fairly good understanding of some of the social dynamics, some of the, um, the social contracts that we, we involve ourselves in, uh, some of the environmental elements that kind of shape and mold the, the mind and everything else. And, and, you know, generally speaking, the, the opportunity usually has to be that the need uh, to survive the, the, the raw instinct of, of doing whatever it takes to, to make sure you survive, uh, in the environment you're in, like all those things play a part, but also there's, there's psychological things that obviously I, I'm not, I'm not, uh, certified to really speak of, but I'm aware of those things. And it, 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 it those things fascinate me. That's why I enjoy having conversations with so many people. Cause when you, when you think about it, like how many times did I see that individual come in on post? You know, how many times did I personally up at the gate, you know, with a, with a partner, uh, did I see Wozniak come in on post? Oh, I'm just going to theater, flash his ID. And because the senior person there was like, I've checked him before, even when we got traffic, we have things to do, you know, right now was not the time that was allotted for us to, to critique and, and check, spot check people, you know? Um, you had your regulars and you had your other ones, you know, as long as they were doing what was complied of for, for gaining access on post, it was, you were doing your job. You know, how many times did that person get on? In fact, how many times, I can't tell you how many times I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't remember. We had hundreds and hundreds of people, people an hour come in. You know, I, I don't, I can't tell you for sure if I, I saw her, um, a combat vet come in in civilian clothes going to the college. Like, I don't, I don't know. And in a blink, you know, all those lives were affected in a blink people you did not know. Now, you know, because of something that is just outrageous and ludicrous to happen and in a community, you feel, you feel that it shouldn't have had. So it's pretty wild, pretty wild. Uh, again, let me just recap the article, the title, and I'll be posting it right now after this, um, NBCLosAngeles.com. And I'm pretty sure there's other articles too, that might have a little more detail about the Wozniak, uh, incident and, and murder. But it, this one in particular is titled body part found in double murder dismemberment case. Um, I hope that the family finds peace. I hope that, you know, we as a society learn and grow from this stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I know for certain there's, there's countless amounts of, of, of people whose lives were touched by this event. A community, you know, uh, was rocked by it definitely. And all the individuals involved in it, uh, whether on the law enforcement, civilian side, medical, et cetera, that the waves of impact on this is just, it's not something we can fathom with our minds, of course. Um, but this was my attempt at sharing with you guys, um, a true crime that has kind of stuck with me since 2010. Um, and I wanted to kind of bring that because it's fascinating. I'm bringing that to the dismount podcast. So if, I mean, if you guys like it, 
let me know and I'll, I'll consider doing another one maybe, but this is probably the very few that I can tell you that I had some kind of interaction involvement and some kind of personal impact on it instead of just reading it from the news. But I'll leave you guys with that guys. Um, this has been the dismount. This was the first iteration of a true time themed. And, uh, I go, I hope you guys have a great day and I'll catch you guys in the next one.